I'm going to invite you to take your copy of the Bible and turn to the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. Throughout this whole summer, what we have been doing is walking through the Ten Commandments. We find ourselves this morning, chapter 20, team. And we will be covering the seventh commandment, and so we'll look at that here in a moment. As we conclude the month of July, my mind goes back to the fourth. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I do enjoy the fireworks. I love going out with family, and I think back to my childhood where we would lay out a blanket, some lawn chairs with snacks, and I always liked the big thunder booms as well as how the fireworks would light up the sky. And when those fireworks were lit off by the professionals, it was always safe, family-friendly, and it was an enjoyable evening. This week, I was reading an article in the USA Today dated July 5th. And I learned there that that is not always the case for fireworks. In Texas, there was a man named Jared Maddox, age 58, who died as a result of fireworks hitting his house, causing it to, uh, cause of, causing it to come aflame and, and burn him to death. In Texas, there was a 15-year-old that also died in a fireworks-related accident. In Kentucky, there was a man named Brian Simpson, age 40, of Florence, that died when he was attempting to light some homemade fireworks. In Missouri, police said fireworks sparked a garage at a home that killed a St. Charles man. And in Michigan, a 43-year-old woman died in Park Township after a homemade fireworks explosion. In that same article, I learned that in 2022, that there were over 10,000 people that visited American emergency rooms as a result of the 4th of July fireworks. And I was reminded of how wonderful and beautiful and safe fireworks can be when they're lit off properly. And how dangerous, life-threatening in times life claiming they can be when they are taking out of that safe setting. You might know where I'm going if you know the seventh commandment. I'm thankful for Roman as he covered the sixth commandment last week. He spoke on you shall not murder and he said that we are going to be focusing on the sanctity of human life. This morning as we look at the seventh commandment, we are going to be looking at the sacredness of sex. And I will do my very best to bring this message at an appropriate level for our children. We don't have children's church, and so I'll be referring to physical intimacy uh, frequently throughout our message today. In Matthew 19, verse 6, is what we just had read for us. Jesus said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
Now, these verses speak about how marriage was God's idea. An idea between a man and a woman. That marriage exists to glorify God, to provide companionship, pleasure, a setting to have children and to raise those children in a godly way. But like fireworks, if taken outside its safe setting, this physical intimacy can become very dangerous. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let marriage, may not the marriage bed, be undefiled. So if I could just open myself up a little bit this morning. I I feel like I've got a a needle or a thread to to be able to put through a needle. I want to share with you my motives this morning. Uh, On one hand, I want to share with you how magnificent this gift of physical intimacy is that God has given to a married couple. Historically speaking, the church did not always handle it this way. If you look back at some of the church fathers, those that came after the New Testament, they saw physical intimacy as a necessary evil. And the Roman Catholic Church even would prohibit particular days on the calendar when a husband and wife could come together. By the time Martin Luther was on the scene. There were 183 days on the calendar where the church says you cannot be intimate with one another. We owe a great debt of gratitude to the Puritans who recovered what this gift was intended to be. It is intended to be very enjoyable between a husband and a wife. That's one motive. I want to convey that, that that physical intimacy is not no, 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 or wait, 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 but it's better, 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 better in the context of marriage. The second thing I want to convey this morning, and this isn't necessarily an outline, I'm just being transparent with you, is I'm going to be very clear. I want to show you how serious the sin of adultery is. Hence the opening illustration of people dying with fireworks. And so there ought to be a soberness that comes across our auditorium today. And if you feel that, then that's an answer to prayer. But then the third thing that I want to convey, just by way of just opening up before you, is to convey to you that that this is not the unpardonable sin. And that the grace of God reaches down even in this sin and can bring redemption and work good in it. So let me give you an outline of where we're going today. I think it's very straightforward. The first thing we're going to talk about is an explanation of what adultery is. The second thing we're going to look at is the effects of adultery. And then the third thing is we'll just provide an example from the Bible of adultery. Looking now at Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, it just says these five words, you shall not commit Adultery. Let's first consider the explanation. What is adultery? I mean, in its most narrow definition in this context, adultery is the physical intimacy between a married person and someone who is not their spouse. You might ask yourself, how common is adultery in America? I looked that up this week. In 2021, the survey of health senators 
conducted a study by polling 441 couples. 46% indicated at least one spouse had an affair. When I was gathering with some other pastors in June at a, at a convention out of state, I remember visiting with one of my friends, and he said, of all the surprises that I have found in the ministry, one of them is at the top. Or there was actually two of them, but it was these two. One of them was this, how common adultery is in the church. The notion of remaining faithful to one spouse and remaining married to death to us part in our culture would be seen as dated, narrow, and restrictive. The word adultery in our culture has been renamed. It's been called open marriage. And once again, you cannot take your cues from celebrities like Brad Pitt or Will Smith or Dolly Parton that subscribe to this idea of an open marriage where you can have an agreement with your spouse to say, how about we both commit adultery? And if you're okay with it and I'm okay with it, then is there anything really wrong with it? But the Bible tells us here that we are not to commit adultery. Now we see it here in the seventh commandment in the 20th chapter of Exodus but we also see it restated in other places in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul wrote, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You see, the seventh commandment is expanded in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this concept of sexual immorality is any physical intimacy outside the safe setting of marriage. So this pertains then also to people that are not even married, that you could violate the seventh commandment. Once again, I was staggered as I looked up some statistics. And I'm not trying to provide statistics that are alarming to you. I was actually just trying to find objective information. And one of the studies that I showed, I was interested in how often or how common it is for one to marry as a virgin today. And it indicated in one source that only 5% of first-time brides on their wedding day have remained pure. 5%. Jesus also added and clarified what this seventh commandment is in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In verses 27 and 28, he said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. As we look slowly at these verses... Jesus clarified the seventh commandment when he said, everyone, the word everyone is not just to married people, but to all of us that look, that's that word, with a gaze of intention, according to Warren Warren Wearsby, he defined that word as not just a casual glance, but a constant stare with the purpose of lusting, 
To look at a woman for the purpose of feeding his inner sensual appetites as a substitute for the act. There was a day, and I remember as a child, if someone had some pornographic printed material, they would stash it away and hide it someplace. Because of the nature of the way man and women are, if they continued to look at that stuff, eventually the high of that would wear off. It would not have the same effect. But with the advent of the internet, there is a bottomless pit of this supplied to a, a curious man or, or a woman. They will never reach the limits of it. And so we see that this adultery is not only a physical, if you're married and, and, and having relations with another person, it's also outside of marriage, a single person can have it as well. It's also in your heart with lustful intent, as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. And one might ask, well, how exactly close can I get to this without actually crossing the line? I think Paul answered that question in Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4, when he said, sexual immorality, that is outside of marriage, intimacy outside of marriage, that could be in the context of with someone of the same gender, could be with yourself, and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. In our society, how in the world do you apply Ephesians 5? We are swimming in this in our media, are we not? And we are to abstain from even a hint of it in our lives. So that means no joking about it. No inappropriate conversations. Clearly no flirting with someone that is not our spouse. But it says here, all impurity. I was looking up how common mainstream music has this theme. 15% of of songs have this adulterous theme. Uh, There was a survey that was done for mainstream TV. Of of all the instances where there's a, a couple that are having relations with one another... How often are they actually married? 10%. 90% of all these sort of occasions within mainstream TV are between people that are not married. And if you are swimming in that and you are viewing that, would that not have an effect on your conscience? And so we're not to even come close to it. So there is the explanation of what adultery is. It started out very narrow in Exodus 20, verse 14. But now it is very broad and wide as we see it in the New Testament. Now let's consider the effects. Secondly, the effects of committing this sin. Why is it so dangerous? Well, go back to God's original design for marriage. As we read in Matthew 19, that a man and a woman are to leave their father and mother and to be joined together. That's actually some physical language that speaks about intimacy between a husband and wife. And that physical intimacy is to be a glue that bonds them together. It is to be enjoyable. It is to be relational. And may I even say 
recreational in its proper context. And yet when we see that that is broken apart and torn apart, there will be damaging consequences. I came across this article this week, and let me just read this to you. Dave Boyle of The Family Life Today said, let me just consider some of the consequences that I would experience if I committed adultery. He said, my relationship with God would suffer from a break in fellowship. I would need to seek forgiveness from my Lord. I would suffer from the emotional consequences of guilt. I would spend countless hours replaying my failure. My wife would suffer the scars of this abuse and more deeply than I could begin to describe. My wife would spend countless hours in counseling. My wife's recovery would be long and painful. Her pain would grieve me deeply and compound my own suffering and shame. Our relationship would suffer a break in trust, fellowship, and intimacy. We would be together yet feel great loneliness The reputation of my family would suffer loss. The sons, my sons or daughters would be deeply disappointed and bewildered. My grandchildren would not understand. My friends would be disappointed and question my integrity. I would lose my ministry at church. My witnesses among neighbors would become worthless. My witness to my lost family members would be worthless. My testimony among my wife's family would be damaged. I would suffer God's discipline. Satan would be thrilled at my failure. Satan would work overtime to be sure my shame never departed. My wife might divorce me. My children might never speak to me. Our mutual friends would shy away from us and break fellowship. I would bring emotional pain to the other woman. I would bring reproach upon the other woman. If the woman is married, her husband might attempt to bring harm. He might divorce her. An unwanted child could be produced. My part in conception might trigger an abortion, the killing of an innocent child. Disease might result. Some might conclude that all Christians are hypocrites. My business could fail because I couldn't be trusted. My zeal for ministry would suffer and possibly result in others not continuing in ministry. My health would suffer. I might have to start life all over again. And the same sin might be visited upon my family for generations to come. There are these effects. And if I just turned, and there's other places in the book of Proverbs, but let me just read to you a few of these effects of committing this sin. It says, Another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? But a man who commits adultery has no sense. And whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot. And his shame will never be wiped away. You don't have to think very hard to begin to think of some people that you know that have experienced this. Let's just stay on some safe ones. How about Tiger Woods? Those of you who appreciate sports and and golf... There was no one like Tiger Woods, and he was on an ascent to be the greatest golfer of all time. And then word came out of how he was unfaithful with his wife on on repeated occasions. And the man has never been the same since, nor has his golfing career. 
How about our beloved Bo Ryan? The Hall of Fame basketball coach of our Badgers. Who was so successful, but do you remember how his career ended? In the middle of the season. His word got out by the Wisconsin State Journal that he had had an affair with someone. And now whenever he returns to the campus, there is this cloud that goes over him. We probably can all relate and know of people that have had this in their own life. I can think of another ministry in Michigan where there was a man that would come to church every so often and he was a former pastor that had committed adultery with his secretary, left his wife, married that secretary. And even though he had confessed his sins, it seemed like every time he came, there were whispers, hey, isn't that the guy that, that, that did that? And there was just a cloud that would go with him. We might think that we will hide this and no one will know. I'm reminded of a, of a website and these websites are, are spreading this sin, aren't they? There was a website that boasted with its, with its logo, life is too short not to have an affair. And, it, and it, it would allow you to subscribe and it would say you would do this in privacy. And no one will know. But in 2015, someone hacked that website and 36 million people had their names made available to the public who were looking for adultery. So not only is there this shame, but do you know what God thought of adultery and what he thinks about adultery? In Leviticus 20, verse 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. How serious is God about the purity in your marriage? Is so serious that he had the death penalty for those who broke this. What about the New Testament? There's judgment. Listen to what Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And they will also experience wrath. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so, so far we've covered an explanation of what adultery is. We've covered the effects of it. Now, just real shortly and briefly now, let me consider an example of adultery in the Scriptures. And to do that, let me go to one of the persons in the Bible that is most esteemed that we would say is among the most successful, the most masculine that there are. He is credited with killing the giant. He is credited with being the great military commander that united the kingdom. A good-looking guy. Not only that, but he had a tenderness to him as well. He was an exceptional musician and poet and songwriter. In fact, some of his songs 
are so famous that they are still being read and appreciated and put the music today in the book of Psalms. We're talking about David. The reason I wanted to give you his resume is if you are sitting here today thinking that somehow that you are on the other side of adultery's grip, I would say to you, wake up because you are a fool. Because if this could happen to David, a man after God's own heart, for goodness sake, it could happen to you and me as well. And so we read, I'll just cover the high points of his story in in 2 Samuel 11. When he was living high on the hog, I mean, he was right with all these successes. In 2 Samuel 11, it says, "In in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab, his servants with them, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. As we look at this passage, we see that David had a responsibility. He had work to do. But we often will fall in immorality when we entertain leisure and ease. And that's exactly what David was doing. Instead of doing the work that God had for him, he was sitting back and he was prone to temptation. Verse 2 says, And it happened late one afternoon when the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Did you hear the word saw? We heard that word very similar in Matthew chapter 5. To see a woman with lustful intent. And there's certainly nothing wrong with observing, but there is something wrong with a second glance, with the gaze to, to feed your mind and heart with sensual thoughts. And that's exactly what David was doing. Verse 3, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, when he heard the word wife, there should have been bells and whistles and buzzers that were going off all over his mind and heart. Stay away, stay away, stay away. But that's not what he did. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. She had been purifying herself from her uncleanness and she returned to her home. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So if you know the story that David actually then plots and schemes to have her husband killed, and then he just lives in oblivion to this sin, sin will deceive you. And then he has a good friend named Nathan that comes to him. He shares with him a little parable, and I'll just pick up from there in 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into the arms, and gave you into the house of Israel and of Judah. And this, if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite, with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. 
Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And then finally, David comes to his senses and does something right. In verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And we see that prayer expanded on in Psalm 51. And if I had time, I'd go through that too. But here's one of the most precious phrases in all the scriptures. I want you to see this, to see how wide and deep God's love and mercy is. The next part of verse 13 says, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So on one hand, this gift of intimacy is so precious. On another hand, we see that this sin of adultery is so severe in its consequences. And then we also see that the mercy and grace of God can reach down even in that sin and bring restoration. Now, if you know the rest of David's story, you know that it didn't all go back to normal. There were consequences that he would live with the rest of his life. Yet, there was forgiveness. There was grace that was offered. And what I would like to do is end this message with this idea that in this sin, in any other sin, where there is grace, there is forgiveness, and there is reconciliation, and there is redemption. I want to put a little color to this story. And as I was praying earlier this week about this passage, there was someone in our church that came to mind. And I reached out to that person. I know a bit of his story. And I said, I wonder at the end of this message, if you would just like to share your testimony. Not one that has personally, in his married life, gone through this, but as a child, lived with the consequences of this. And so I'm going to ask Shane to come at this time. One one of our leaders in a church, he, um, whenever we need something done and done right, Shane's one of the guys that we go to. And uh, I've asked him to kind of share a bit of his story. So Shane, would you do that? Pastor asked me to share some of my story as it pertains to today's message on adultery. I really wasn't too thrilled to share, but I trust the pastor is led by God and was led to ask me, so here I am. I am the second oldest of six and had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. My mom homeschooled us, and my father was the pastor of a local church. At an early age, I realized that I was a sinner and trusted Christ as my personal Savior. At the age of 13, everything I knew, all the friends I had, the church I loved, the father I looked up to, everything in my life to that point changed. For years, my father 
had been having multiple affairs with women in the community and our church. After some extremely painful months, my parents divorced after 20 years of marriage, most of which my dad was unfaithful. Because of the magnitude of this, the church deacons told us that my siblings and my mom had to also leave. My family could no longer go to the church I loved or even associated with any of our friends ever again. Being that my mom was a stay-at-home mom with no means of income, we had no idea how financially we would live. All we could do was hourly trust God that God would take care of us. The one thing I want to convey to everyone here today is that idolatry has long-reaching effects. It is horrifying what my dad did to my mom, but he also did that to my brother, sisters, the church, the community, and I. Our sin also affects those around us. There are people that attended our church that turned away permanently from God. Some families never went to church again as a result of his betrayal. Life doesn't happen in a silo. A stone cast into a pool of water has long-reaching ripple effects. We may think that sin might not be so grievous, but all sin has to be dealt with, and it will always be found out. But my story doesn't end there. In the months and years to follow, God was with my family in some absolutely amazing ways. I saw with my own eyes how my Heavenly Father always took care of us. For a few years, I can remember boxes of food randomly showing up at our doorstep. A total stranger gave us a car. I remember checking out at the grocery store with two shopping carts full of food, and somehow it was all for free because of some random store event. A few years later, a bank gave my mom a home loan with no source of income. Throughout the years to follow, I could tell you story after story of how God always provided for us. God proved that he could take care of us far better than any earthly father ever could. Through it all, my mom kept us in church and continued to teach us that God never stops being a faithful God. I learned that serving God is not a lifestyle, but the very essence of life. My siblings and I have remained close even after all these years. The Lord used what we went through to get such a strong bond between my brother and I. Luke and I talk daily. My friendship with him will always be near to my heart. Sometimes it's hard to fathom all the ways God has guided our lives. My siblings and I are all active in our local churches and have great families that God has blessed us with. Over time, I have learned that it's not where you come from that counts, but what you grow into. God has also brought many great men into my life that have filled voids that my earthly father could not. Each man teaching me something different in seasons of life when I really needed their leadership and guidance. Many have impacted me in ways they may never fully understand. Some of you are in this room today. My oldest sister has really struggled. To this day, she struggles with addiction and falls short in the same way my father did. Some sins are generational, and now her family is going through a very similar situation to what we went through. Adultery is a very selfish act. At a deep level, you are choosing some temporary satisfaction over the needs of the people you should love and care about the most. When I look at Savannah and the love I have for her, the fact that I would do anything for her, 
I can't believe that my father would choose to be with those women instead of my siblings during our childhood. Now, as a dad, I am still daily processing the harmful effects that adultery has caused in my life. In closing, it's been close to 35 years, and still the repercussion of my father's adultery remain. My father still doesn't have a relationship with his kids and hasn't even met some of his grandchildren. He never had the pleasure of walking some of his daughters down the aisle at their wedding or even understood the degree of hurt that he has caused to so many. He is lonely, bitter, and ashamed, and lives an ashamed life, all because he chose not to be the husband and father God intended him to be all those years ago. It's easy to be tempted in the moment, but I wonder if my dad could have known what his life would look like today if he would have made those same choices. When people read, Thou shalt not commit adultery, they might think it's only between a man and a woman, but to me... Adultery is so much more than that. I would encourage all you men to go home and love your wife. Thank you for sharing, Shane. I wanted you to hear in that testimony not only the, the damage it brings, but that it's not the end of the story. In your bulletin today, as you came in, I'm going to leave a way for you to process this message. As you see this little handout, it's, um, it's got several different questions. We've kind of covered the, the what today, but maybe this will help you with the how. How is it that I can be free from this, this sin in my life? So the first part of this will allow you to assess how much of a hold or if this has a hold in your life. The second part will have you just to reflect on getting that right with God, getting it right with others. The third part of this, and t- talking about this particular sin, is what strategies are you building into your life to seek after God, to, to treasure Him more than any other sin? And then the fourth part of this little uh, ha- pamphlet it has you those of you who are married, just to prioritize your marriage. One of the great antidotes against adultery is just a fulfilled marriage and to be satisfied with your spouse. And there's some help there. So while I can't follow you home and look over your shoulder to do this, I can make it available to you and say if you really want to work this out, then you'll put this into practice. Let's pray together. And then as our music team comes, I think there's a, an appropriate song for us about how we need, we need the Lord. Father, as we look at this passage again, it may seem so small in, in five words, but as we've dug into it and we've expanded it to see what it actually says in the New Testament, as we've heard personal testimony today, we are seeing the damage that this sin can cause. And I'm, I'm just assuming that all around this room, we have adulterers. I, I mean, if, if, if what adultery is, is gazing and having lustful intent, then, then I put myself in that category. And while the, 
the consequences of that may, may be different than what was expressed in that personal testimony today. We all find ourselves guilty under your word. And so help us to look up to the grace that is given to us on the cross. To know that we don't have to just stop there. But there is a life that you are calling us to. A life of forgiveness. A life of grace. Perhaps there are people here today that have said, I've, I've done this and I, I found myself tripped up again this week. Well, by the grace of God that you will enter into that struggle again, standing on the, the finished work of Christ and say, by, by your grace, I'm going to continue to fight for purity in my life and I'll take this handout that has been provided for me and I'll, I'll work it out, provide these daily strategies to apply in my life. Lord, as we look here at these Ten Commandments, we were reminded that they are not intended to keep us from enjoyment or fun, but the opposite. They open the door to us, to to the best life that you are calling us to, to freedom, to joy, to happiness, as you have intended. I pray that there would be forgiveness granted, there would be confessions offered, repentance had, and there would be a a clear conscience that would be experienced all throughout the Highland Crest family today and the week to follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.